this. The Lord's going to have a church, and if we can only come, and if we have to be like some of the, our Chinese brethren that sit on their hands so that they don't raise them, we're going to do our best to have a praise in our heart and mind, and we are, because we are apostolic and we have a great legacy and history here that we're going to try to maintain throughout the next few weeks and, and years to come, should the Lord tarry. So what we're going to talk about today is trials and temptations. I don't know if anybody's ever had a trial that they've gone through or a temptation. And I, I understand that uh, a lot of times those words are used very similarly. And yet I saw a cartoon. I don't know if you can see this, but it shows a hammer and it had the word trials on it. And uh, there's a, 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 a bolt uh, that is talking to the nail and the nail is in the woods and it says, Zowie nail, you sure get hit on the head a lot. And the nail responds, ha, every time I get hit, it just drives me deeper into the wood. And the wood, the two pieces of wood are labeled faith and perseverance or endurance. And so this cartoon is basically that trials drive us deeper into faith and perseverance. That's what they're designed to do. And yet I realize that at times people come up for prayer and we pray, and we believe in prayer, and we know that God can heal, touch, deliver, set free anything. He can heal any kind of disease. He can stop the COVID virus. He can do anything. But yet, sometimes he doesn't. And I was wondering, as I was thinking about this, I wonder if, in fact, what we are seeing is that Maybe I am going through a trial and when I pray and ask God to take it away, the Lord says, nope, I'm not taking that away. I'll give you faith and endurance to go through it, but I'm not going to remove it. And of course, I don't know that. We pray, Lord. And so that's why we have a tendency when we're praying for folks to say, Lord, your will be done. We are asking for you to heal. We're asking you to deliver. We're asking you to do whatever it is that we think in the natural would be the best. But know that God, you may have another plan for this. And I've seen folks that say, well, I don't understand. Why would God, you know, I can't see any good out of it. I can't see anything worthy. Well, the man that is considered to be the uh, <clears throat> half-brother of Jesus uh, wrote, the book of James, they believe it was uh, that he was Jesus's half brother, and he was uh, later one of the ministers in the early church. Wrote it to the twelve tribes, and he starts off his book, and his book is about temptation and trial. And he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation or different temptations. Now, I can't say that I get real joyful when I'm getting tempted. As a matter of fact, probably the opposite is true. I feel like, Lord, why am I going through this? Why am I being bombarded? Why am I being hit? 
And then he goes on to say, knowing this, that the trying or trial of your faith works patience. That word patience could be also interpreted endurance or perseverance. That the trying of my faith works patience. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be the nail that is being pounded on day after day and driving me into faith and perseverance. I can't take it, Lord. You know I can't take it. And of course, our mind then immediately says the Lord's never going to put on us more than we can bear, but we'll make a way of escape. Well, James wasn't the only one who wrote about trials and temptations and actually put them in sort of a, a, a similar setting, verse setting, where he, Simon Peter also wrote in 1 Peter, the first chapter, the 6th and 7th verses, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Here's that joy again. Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, there it is, temptations and trials, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto what? Praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What an amazing couple of verses that Simon would write that all these trials that I'm going through and all these temptations and all of this is supposed to make me respond with more praise and more honor and more glory to the Lord. And you say, well, I look at trials and temptations as being very different. Well, I, I would probably have to agree with you. I I see them as being very different. And yet the writers of the New Testament, James and Simon and others, put trials and temptations together. Manifold temptations, diverse temptations. And then it talked about the trying, the trials. And yet I see them in two separate columns. Trials seek to reveal moral qualities and, and who we are, our character, and they move us into conformity with the image of Christ. Temptations, I always, when I talk about temptations, I think of them as being decept deceptive and deceiving, persuading us to do evil and to get us bound and corrupt to destroy our lives, to steal, kill, and destroy. And I go, oh, well, those are bad things. I'm tempted to fill in the blank. I'm tempted to, and you can put out whatever, because it will destroy me, it will kill me. And so I look at trials on one hand as seeking to sort of undeceive, to bring light, to show me Areas that I need to improve on. It's kind of like if you look at a, a, a glass of water and it, it looks all clear except for the bottom part of it has a little brown ring around the bottom of the inside the glass and you think, well, that's fresh, clean, good water. But if you stir it up a little bit and it all looks cloudy, 
you go, ooh, I don't know that I want to drink that or not. And so I look at trials as sort of shaking me up at times, showing me what's inside of me, bringing the light to it, sort of like dusting your house and then all of a sudden throwing open the curtains and you see the light and you go, how did I miss all that stuff? That's what I look at trials as and yet I look at temptations as wanting to close the curtains and bring deception and I can get by with this and nobody will know if I do it right now I can figure out how that I can change this and nobody will see it. It'll be all right and I'll just do it once and I'll nobody will see where I am and what I'm doing. I'll just do it and I'll get by with it and that's what I call temptation. And yet I would look at trials as being something to aim for my good, to get me cleaned up, to get me better. And temptation's there to steal, kill, and destroy. Trials, oftentimes I, I think, well, God's working on me. You know, he's still working, trying to show me the areas in my life. And temptation, the work is not from God because the Bible is very clear, God tempts no one. So I put that as the work of the world or the flesh or the devil. So I look at trials and temptation as being two different things. And even according to the word of God, your response should be very different to temptations. You have to learn how to resist temptation and flee temptation and avoid temptation and establish barriers and boundaries Become accountable. Bring it to the light. Be honest. Be real. Get a support system. That's how you deal with temptations. Trials, on the other hand, we go, oh, well, trials, <clears throat> I need to develop more faith and more perseverance or patience. Oh, I don't like that. Because, unfortunately, what these writers in the New Testament recognized that many times the trials and the temptations go hand in glove. In the moment of a trial, I can be tempted to steal, kill, and destroy. In the moment of my test that the Lord is putting me through to see if I'm ready to go to the next level, I can then be tempted to escape and tempted to find a relief valve. In the moment of my being quarantined and I don't like this anymore, I can be tempted to say, well, I'm going to go out and I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to kiss everybody I see. <laughs> In that moment of trial is when the enemy can also tempt. So James's entire book is about this trials and temptations and he talked about how common they were and how that everybody has trials and temptations and, and he said there's none that is not common to man and, and that, that actually he said the more intent and, and intentional and intense you are to say I want to be used of God, I want to serve God, I want to be, I want to be a blessing, I want the Lord to use me to work through you, to be... 
might want to be a minister. James in his book says, the more you're going to be tested and tried and tempted. So you say, well, I don't want to do any of that. I'll just stay at home and not do anything. You're still going to get tempted. The more gifted you are, the more intelligent you are, the more things that you have that would build your own sense of self-confidence and worth. And I don't need anybody. You'll be tempted to become arrogant and you'll be tempted. The richer you are, you'll be tempted to hoard your money. And James talks about all of that. We could spend weeks and weeks going through the book of James in a study, looking at all the ways that he said we can be tempted in this hour through being gifted, through being blessed. You say, well, (laughs) I don't want to be blessed if it means I'm going to be tempted more. Well, Guess what? James also taught that temptation can be overcome, that we know that the Lord has tempted and that he can be there for us. Trials can be endured. You say, oh, well, pastor, this is is sad. I don't don't want this. Well, hang on. We're going to try to turn it around here in a few moments. James, at the end of his book, he only wrote five chapters, and you can read them for homework and read the entire book if you want. But he wraps up at the end of of the fifth chapter. He talks about if you're rich, if you have a lot of money, you're going to be tempted to be arrogant. You're going to be tempted to ignore the needs of others. And then he starts in verse 7, and he says, Be patient, therefore, or have endurance, therefore, brethren. And I know. We've all said, don't pray for patience because Job, you know, got, you know how Job got patience and that's where these verses come from. You know, nobody wants to go through a trial to get patience and another word for patience is endurance and I understand that, but yet the story is true. He, James says, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Unto the, What? until the Lord comes back. The man who wrote this died over 2,000 years ago. But he said, "Be endure until the coming, because they lived as if the Lord could come at any moment. And we are now experiencing this virus to the point that we are recognizing, guess what? Revelation could happen in a moment. We could be at the brink of the coming of the Lord. And James said, be endure patience, hold on until the coming of the Lord. And then he used the example of a husbandman or a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Some of you know what that's about. You've planted gardens, you've put seeds in the ground, you've watered, you've pulled weeds, you've gone out, you've tended, whether it's flowers or plants, and and to try to get one or two tomatoes. Probably could have gone to Kroger and bought tomatoes is cheaper. Oh, but I know what these tomatoes had, and I know how they were raised, but you have patience. Whatever it is, there's that patience waiting for that that end result until you receive the early and latter rain. And so James wrote, be ye also patient and establish or settle your hearts. Oh boy, that's a hard one now in this moment. Is not only you know, I, I might endure but I want you to know emotionally I can't take it anymore. (laughs) 
I've gone through nine weeks and it'll be ten today is tenth week without people in this church but I'm getting sick and tired of it right now. Be careful. I don't want to have that as my motive for saying I want to open church. <laughs> what are you saying? He says, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Then he says this word, grudge not against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. I'll talk about that later. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and affliction and patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. That's where he throws that in. And have seen the end of the Lord. Now that's a curious phrase. What does he mean by the end of the Lord? Well, he's been talking about the coming of the Lord. And yet, I don't know that Job saw the rapture or the coming of the Lord. So what was it that gave him this vision of the end of the Lord? It was that the Lord is very pitiful, according to James. Very pitiful. I'll explain what that word means. It actually means full of compassion and then tender mercy. Of course, James used Job as his example. And we could spend a long time, and I've preached on Job. And most of you that have heard me know the story of Job. Old Testament, a poetry book that Job went through all the sufferings. He lost his resources. He lost his ability to gain more resources because he lost his camels. He lost his oxen. He lost his donkeys. He lost his servants. He, lost, he didn't have an ability to go generate any more resources. He lost everything. He lost his children. Even his own wife said, curse God and die. You talk about feeling alone and isolated. And then on top of all of that, he lost his health to the extent that he was in excruciating pain with worms digging into his body and sitting on an ash heap. Job couldn't speak for seven days. He was so overwhelmed with the number of hits that had hit him. And his friends came up and they're supposed to be his friends and they're supposed to be the ones to encourage him. And what does his friends do? They basically challenge his reputation. Job, surely you're sin somewhere in your life. Surely, Job, something's happened. Surely, Job, this couldn't have happened to you without God attacking you. Surely, Job, this is not any fun. This is your trial, Job, and you're responsible. It's kind of like the disciples that looked around and said, you know, here's a guy that's blind. Who does sin? His parents, his mom, his dad, him, who sinned? The Lord said, "I, you know what? I let that boy be born blind so many years ago because there was one day I was going to walk by here with you. Ooh so that I, you could see the glory of Almighty God. You talk about he had endured a trial for a long time. Job, he had considered himself righteous. He had considered himself doing what was right. He even offered alms and sacrifices for his kids. And yet the Lord, he, 
In the midst of this shaking of Job, this trial of Job, he ended up having questions. I don't understand it. God, why this? What's going to happen? What's going on? Why did you do it? Why did you let it happen? Why are we all in a shutdown? What's going to happen to our economy? Is it the Democrats? Was this, was this Bill Gates? Who, who's the one? Who's responsible? What's going on? The Chinese? I, don't, I want to know. I want to know what's going on with all of this. I want you to understand that God is still in control. I don't care how much Bill Gates would have plotted or the Chinese or the Democrats or the Republicans or whomever else while I realized they may have all wanted all this to happen. God was playing them like a harp. This is not something that has caught God off track. He knows exactly where we are and what we're going through. We may feel like it's a trial and it's over. It's going to overwhelm us but I'm here to tell you if we would get a vision of the end of the Lord then it's good. we will have the perseverance and the patience to make it through it. You see, that's what God wanted to show Job was the end of the Lord. And Job had questions and Job had questions and you'll read through his book that his friends talk to him and Job talks and his friends say something and Job asks questions and something else and Job asks questions and Job and if I could just if I could just have my day in court and if I I don't understand it's not right and Job was questioning the motive of God he questioned God's wisdom he questioned what God was doing and why where was God and then all of a sudden the last couple of chapters of Job, God shows up. And God does not answer any of Job's questions. <laughs> you know, sometimes people think that God's going to answer all my, I mean, God doesn't answer any of Job's questions. Basically, what God said was, I'm big and I'm bad and I can do it all. And you need to know who you're talking to and I want to see what your credentials are. And he does that for a couple of chapters. <clears throat> what was he doing? He was showing Job the end of the Lord. That God was very compassionate. And God was full of tender mercy. And God is still on the throne. When Job heard God's response... His hand over his mouth. He grabbed his mouth. He said, Lord, I now know you can do everything. There's no thought that's withheld from you. I had heard of you before, but now I've seen just a glimpse of you with mine eye. And I, I hate myself. I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, because trials and temptations are meant to humble us and to bring us to repentance. Oh, if there was anything that all of this COVID ought to do for all of us, it is ought to make us feel more like repenting than ever before. Oh, 
you say, but you don't know. I, it's not fair. I don't like. I. You know what? It should humble us. I hope it will. I do. I think it, we're going to see that. I think there's been some seeing of people that have repented. But I want you to realize Job was so upright that he offered sacrifices for others, and yet God wanted to show him who he was. Job had to experience the trials to remember how much he needed God every day for himself. I hope that's what all of this virus does is remind us, you know what? The store shelves can be cleaned out in just a matter of a few days. I still need God to be there and supply my daily bread. I used to be able to not have to pray, give us this day our daily bread because Kroger had bread and Walmart, but I went to Walmart a few weeks ago and there was no bread on the shelf. And you know what? I had to start saying, God, give us this day our daily bread. You see, my trials should remind me of how much I need God, how very pitiful he is. Very pitiful means full of compassion, full of pity. It's the only place it's used in the entire Bible, full of pity and compassion. Tender mercy, the only one place that phrase is used. And it's whenever it's used here in, in where it says God is full of tender mercy. And back in Luke the 6th chapter and the 36th verse where it says, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is also merciful. You say, I don't understand. I, I've been praying for God to take away my problem, my trial. I don't know what he's doing. Well, I want to tell you, the Bible, the Old Testament is full. I, I've got several examples, and I, 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 don't, I don't need to go through them all of trials that people went through, of tests. I'll go through one, and then we'll, we'll stop. But this, here one was Jacob. You remember what Jacob was known as, the heel grabber? He was known as the one that, that is a manipulator, a con artist. Oh, you want to talk about being a, a royal con and, and always a grifter and always on the game? That's who Jacob was because his name at the very beginning as a, as a twin, uh, boys being born, uh, here was one birth about to happen and this hand comes out and grabs the heel and pulls it in. Then Jacob was born. So from the very beginning they named him Jacob, heel grabber and he was known as a manipulator. He manipulated everyone. He manipulated his father-in-law. He manipulated, he, he, you name it, he was a manipulator from the word go. He manipulated his brother Esau. Poor old Esau was too dumb to know he was being conned. Come in hungry and Jacob would say, well, I'll give you some beans if you give me something. What can you give me? Oh, well, give me. And he, he just was that way. He conned his dad out of a blessing when his dad got sick and thought he was dying. He was a con artist. He went down and worked for a man, conned him out of, of sheep, and he conned him out of his other wife. He was just, and I know he ran into Laban who tried to fool him. I get it. All of that, you know, a con usually falls prey to a con. And he was going to finally have to go back home and face his mistakes and face what had happened. And, you know, typically that's what we have to do. No matter what happens, we have to go back and face the music, if you will. And Jacob was going home to face the music. But he set up this elaborate con to go home. 
will divide up in groups. This group will go across first. When you see Esau, then if he kills that group, the second group will be able to get away. And guess what? I'll be by myself in the last group. He was so nice. He was so concerned about his family and others. Imagine your leader saying, you get to be in the first group. Wow, what a friend you are. What a con. And he read this con, and yet it was that night that the Lord met Jacob to show him the end of the Lord. Before God could change Jacob's name, he had to give him a trial that he would keep the rest of his life, a limp that he would walk with from there forever. Because what he was basically saying to Jacob, when he touched the hollow of his thigh and shrank those sinews and caused him to limp, I'm going to make it where you can't run away, Jacob. You thought you had it all figured out, that this is a way you could protect yourself. I'm going to make it where you have no other choice but to get up every day and grab a stick and remember, I need God today. Oh, I hope COVID-19 2020 produces in us more than ever before. We need God every day. Oh God, whatever this we're going through, I, remind me to repent. Remind me to be humble. Remind me to say I need you every day, Lord. Oh, you see, I want God to change my name. I want God to transform me. But the only way he can do it is I get me out of the way and I say, Lord, I'm willing. I don't know. There weren't prayer lines back when Jacob was there. But if Jacob would have come dragging his leg in and we would have prayed for him, God would have said, sorry, son, I'm not healing that today. You need that to remind you how much you need me. Oh, Lord, I don't want my trial to be that. And you say, well, how do you know? You don't. You just pray. We pray for healing. I don't know that it's a trial, but let me tell you, if it is, just say, Lord, if this is my trial, I'm going to endure it with faith that you can heal it if you want or transform me. I want every day more than ever before to raise my hands and say, I need you, Lord. Oh, God, I don't know how long this trial of COVID will keep folks away. I don't know how long we will suffer under this sense of not being able to come and do and when weddings and funerals and times of fellow. I don't know, but if it reminds us every day, if my having to have a mask looped over my ear or wash my hands another five times reminds me of how much I need to wash my hands in the presence of God or how much I need to protect protect myself. Oh God, don't let it get away from me. Help it draw me to a moment of repentance. And that's where we are. 
we'll read tonight, J. David had it, and he said people had attacked him and broken him, and, and there were folks that dropped Mephibosheth. I could go through the Old Testament, and I've got several examples, but this morning I'm here to tell us all. I don't know whether you're going through a trial or a temptation. I don't know if you need to set up boundaries and you need to establish, flee from it, avoid it, run from it, be accountable, or whether you're being hit like a hammer on a nail. <laughs> All I do know is God is still able to deliver. He's still able to heal. Are you going to stop praying for the sick? No, because when somebody walks up and we had special prayer this week for Brother Larry Neenover. Hand, pain in his hand. We prayed for Brother Galoni. Amazing, intense, sharp pain in Brother Neenover's hand and Brother Galoni and seeing the miracle. I don't know. I, Brother Neenover, I don't know if it's a trial. I don't know if it's, a, if it's tempting you, but what I do know is whatever it is, it's got to drive us to saying, I need God more than ever. <laughs> I wish I could tell you what COVID is. I wish I could tell you, well, it's just a trial. It's just a test. We're past it. Life will go on. I hope that the world will realize how quickly God could change everything in a moment. That they wake up. We've heard more about God on television programs and from newscasters and individuals than I've ever heard before. Someone reminded me, Brother Galoni, that after 9-11, the people of New York City flooded the stadium to pray and to thank God for helping them. Now New York was one of the places hit hardest with COVID. What I want to see is my response to whatever this is, to saying, God, drive it into me deeper. I want more perseverance. I want more faith. And I'm here to tell you, you can have it. Would you just raise your hands right now, wherever you are, Lord Jesus, I pray. Every individual that heard this morning that you will give us strength and courage in this hour. I don't know what we're all facing, but I know you are able to walk with us through every bit of it. If it's a trial of our faith, help it pound me into perseverance and patience. If it's a temptation to get me to curse God and die or to feel like I don't need God anymore, Help me to isolate and run from that. The name that's above every name. In Jesus' name. Not in the rivers. They are uncrossable. God and